My next guest, Posey Mansfield, is the president and co-founder of the COP Amputee Association. Posey is a left-above-the-knee amputee and a lead advocate for the Amputee Coalition. She is truly an inspiration as she maintains an active lifestyle in water sports and skiing. It is my pleasure to introduce Posey Mansfield. Welcome, everyone. My name is Rick Bonkowski, and this is the Amped Up to 11 podcast. Hey, Posey, how are you? Great to see you today. I'm fine, thank you. Fine, thank you, Rick. Thank you for inviting me. Oh, it's absolutely my pleasure, and I'm so glad that you were able to take uh, some time out of your busy schedule, because I know you are a busy lady, and you're coming off of uh, your conference uh, with the Amputee Coalition. You've got a number of different things going on that I want to dive into. I was reading somewhere that you recently had a, a little bit of a bout with uh, COVID, correct? I did. I did back when they didn't have vaccines. I was very ill with it. Really? And can you describe what that experience was like, given, let's say, the fact that you're an amputee, which I don't know if that really plays a role in anything, but also uh, given your age group, what was what were your symptoms? And then what consequently was that experience like? I personally knock on wood, you know, haven't, uh, haven't had that at my particular doorstep, but I know for a lot of folks, my own parents, both of them, and a couple of my siblings have all had a COVID experience. What, what could you share or comfortable sharing with the audience today? Well, back in, uh, on Christmas of 2019, um, I had a lot of trouble breathing and I have asthma. So I went to the emergency room and they said I tested positive for COVID. I was having a really hard time breathing. And they admitted me right away. And they started me on oxygen. And I was I was really struggling to breathe. And they took me upstairs. And, and it, was, it was hard because nobody in my family could visit me, first of all. Secondly, I'm 73. I was 72 at the time. And I knew the higher risk for people of, of uh, higher ages. And... Uh, so I was really scared, really scared. I couldn't breathe. It was, it was the scariest sure. feeling I've ever had. I felt like I was drowning. And uh, so they had me on oxygen. They finally gave me remdesivir. And that seemed to, over time, seemed to quiet things down. I spent nine days in the hospital. They talked about intubating me. And I said, if you can absolutely avoid that. And they were able to avoid it. Yeah, no, that's that's wonderful, and and thank goodness that you are still here. You're with us, and by all accounts, uh, my own included, I I can see that you're still very much living a very active lifestyle, enjoying your family, enjoying your passions, and doing all the things that, to be quite honest, and I'm you know I'm not necessarily here to pound on your age for an hour. Um, given your age, are, are pretty extraordinary. I mean, I, I do follow you on social media, and I noticed that you are a very, very active person at 73, um, and that you would sort of stack on top of that the fact that you're an above-the-knee amputee kind of makes things even more sort of the wow factor of someone that probably by most of the general public's assumption would think that these things would hold you back. And I know in previous conversations when we've spoken that you, like myself, I think we both concurred that we actually became more active or in better physical shape, uh, post-amputation. And, you know, I I do talk to a lot of different amputees like yourself, so I know that you can speak to this when we see groups of people in the amputee community, they tend to segregate into two groups. And one of those groups is sort of a regression, 
in that they are not as active or maybe, uh, you know, struggle in that space. And then there seems to be this other, this other group that kind of transcend and really transform themselves into something that really embodies a physical state that improves their quality of life. And you are certainly one of those people. Given all the work that you do, you know, how do you see that landscape when you interact with a lot of different people in the amputee community? Well, when I lost my leg, as you know, I lost my husband a month earlier and and I I was not well. I had a lot of I had a lot of you know, GI surgeries, and I was on a feeding tube. And when he passed away, my kids thought I'd, I'd die of a broken heart because we, we had just celebrated our 41st wedding anniversary. So I didn't know mm-hmm. what my life was going to look like. And we never know what God's plan is. And I certainly didn't know. I couldn't predict it. I couldn't plan for it. But after I lost my leg, it became such a blessing because I interacted with so many wonderful people. I became more appreciative of living the life that I had been spared and my family and I had to be strong for them. When it when I lost my leg in January of 2011, I wanted to start a support group for amputees because I didn't have anybody and I asked my prosthetist, you know, what do we, you know, don't we have a support group in the area? So I started with him and we it's, you know, we're going strong today. Uh, we have two sites, and then I, because I never had anybody tell me the process, tell me anything, I became a certified peer visitor through the amputee coalition, then a lead advocate, and I went to Washington to promote insurance fairness for amputees. So I know it's it was hard. I it did I started off slowly. It didn't happen overnight. Uh, I was 62 when I lost my leg, and and I had a couple of options. I could either quit and give up, and and say my life is over because my husband has just died. That was the real loss. Um, or I could yeah. get strong and healthy. And, and I start out by, um, I went kayaking with Spalding Rehab here in Boston. And then I decided I better get stronger. So I started going to the gym and I started really slowly. I didn't didn't know what to do. I had a, somebody from the staff of Planet Fitness help me through the equipment. I start off on the stationary bike and that was that was hard because I, I'm above knee, as you mentioned, and it was really hard. And then I slowly and gradually worked up to a, a, a little bit of a longer routine, a little bit more more challenging routine. And I took a, a water aerobics class because I felt like being in the water would help me gain some strength and balance. So I joined a water aerobics class. And again, I start out slowly. I used a kickboard. Uh, and then eventually I was able to swim on my own. But I think it's it's easy to, to, to give up. It's easy to say I can't do it. But for me, it was more I, I can't not do it. I've got to stay healthy for my children, my grandchildren, and my great-grandchildren. Mm-hmm. And I've got to be the example to them that when things get rough, you don't just give up. You, you forge ahead and you make, make the most out of the life you've been given. I think um, I want to touch on a couple of points that you made because they very much resonate with myself. And I think you're very wise in the way that you present these concepts. And obviously the first one is uh, understanding that things take time. Yeah. You, you are very, you're, you're very articulate in saying, you know, this was not easy. This took a long period of time. I had to build up from a particular place. All of those goals that we reach, all those milestones that we reach as amputees, myself included, being able to ride a bike uh, independently, being able to um, you know, walk a particular distance uh, that I never thought you know, I could and, 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 and be pain-free when I'm doing it. Um, as, as, you know, I'm a, uh, as you know, I'm a drummer and being able to enjoy music and perform music and do all of these things were very much seemed impossible to me, uh, right after my surgery, but sort of accepting, Hey, this is, you know, this is day one, like this is going to take some time. And if I commit myself to it, I'm going to get to those places again 
and seeing you thrive in those very physical spaces is to to me is a, is a huge support of inspiration but the other thing you ta- you touched on was knowing that there were all these other people in your orbit that maybe didn't necessarily say you know hey mom or hey grandma we're counting on you we're rooting for you but knowing that you had a duty you had a responsibility to those people in your life and the thing i find that's interesting for myself with my own family and friends is and this might seem a little strange or a little twisted but as i advance and as i do more they kind of expect more well what's the next thing you're going to do and then i think oh no i've gotten myself into this very difficult equation now <laughs> where they're waiting for the next thing that i'm going to do so when i when i hear you talk about um there was no other choice i you know i had to do uh all of those things for my family for my grandkids for all these people that were sort of quietly, patiently counting on me. I think that's such a huge, huge lesson. And as a certified peer visitor, I would think that one of your first curiosities with a patient is what is your support system? Absolutely. What are you going home to? Are you going home to a loving, supportive place? Or are you going home to an empty house? Because so much of that, um, you know, circle that we build for ourselves, don't you feel like that's really sort of the fuel that helps us progress along our journey? I mean, has it been that way for you? Yes, absolutely. And and I do, as you mentioned, I do come across people that I've done many, many peer visits and I've come across a lot of people, and, and you're right. One of the first things I ask them is, "What kind of a support system do you have? Do you have family? Do you live alone? Do you have an accessible entry into your house? Do you have an accessible bathroom?" Many of these people do not, and I give them an idea of resources available in the area. And the the fact that we do have a support group for people, we do have a support group that where they can come and not feel different and, and share their experiences and and listen to others who may have had the same issues and may have experienced the same problems and they can give them advice because we've all been there. That's one of the wonderful thing about the support group. We've all been there. We all may have different levels of amputation and different experiences, but we can tap into those experiences and, and share them with somebody who is, who's new, who doesn't know, they don't even know what questions to ask in the beginning. When I visit them in the rehabs and the hospitals, they don't even know the questions to ask. So I start by asking them what their support system is like and explain a little bit about the process, but I don't want to overwhelm them. I think the most important thing is to be there to let them know they're not alone and there are people out there to help them and to support them and provide them with the resources available to them in their community. So you're right, because so much of what we go through after losing a limb is very uncharted and it's different completely different for every single patient, depending on, first of all, their level of amputation, uh, the type, shape, um, temperament, let's call it, of the residual limb. Uh, you know, there was, a, there was a, a moment in my own experience where I thought, you know, this damn limb is just never, it's just never going to cooperate with me. It's, it's just, it's, it's stubborn. It's it's not wanting to do the things that I wanted to do, and eventually I got this little guy in line. But you know, here's the thing: it's different for everyone, and it's such a what I refer to as an abyss of just unknowns. What's this going to look like? What's this going to feel like? How long is it going to take? When can I work? When can I do this? When can I do that? I remember talking to my excuse me, my orthopedic surgeon the night before my my surgery. And I was definitely in a place where I probably could have, I could have afforded a visit from someone like yourself just to calm me down 
and say, hey, you know, it's going to be okay. And I was sort of firing a bunch of different questions at him. You know, how am I going to work? How am I going to play drums? How am I going to, you know, how am I going to do all these things? And he looked me dead in the eye and he said, I don't know. He said, but this is what I can tell you. He said, if you want it bad enough, you'll do everything. That's all I can promise you. You have to want it bad enough. And that's always been something that has stuck with me. So when I hear, you know, your wise words about everything being a process, that there are resources for people, and it, you know, it's a journey. It's, it's, it's not a sprint. It's a marathon. We have to take it one day at a time. And along that path, that journey, there's a a heck of a lot of struggle. And uh, every day is certainly not uh, triumphant. But we take our victories when we can get them. And we just uh, use that to keep going otherwise. Now, you know, I had read something in an interview that you did that I found interesting because you're not, you're certainly not a, a stranger uh, to some other medical issues, I, I was reading something that definitely puts you in kind of a vulnerable space, which, you know, I admire in people like yourself. You were talking about uh, suffering uh, from an eating disorder and also that you were diagnosed bipolar. Um, do you feel like some of those or let me rephrase this, It did some of those struggles, some of those battles with, you know, self-realizing, developing treatment plan, did any of that sort of aid you in your amputee journey? Was, it, was there any component of that that you could draw as like a parallel? Absolutely. Um, I'm glad you. I'm glad you brought that up because I was going to mention that as well. When I had the eating disorder, my husband would, you know, he would encourage me and and say, "You've got to get better. You've got to get better. You got to do this." And I had to do it for myself. And that's what I realized. I had to do it for myself. And I realized that after I lost my leg and after I lost him, I had to do it for myself. And being bipolar, it took a long time before I was in the middle, before I was able to be somewhere where I wasn't having the high manic problems and I wasn't having the deep, deep depression. It was a very dark time for me when I was dealing with all of that because it took them a long time to find the right cocktail of different medications that would help me keep both in check, both the mania and and the depression. But it was, I found that when, when I lost my husband, I found that I was expecting to fall into a deep depression and the medications that I was on helped me, helped balance me and helped kind of right the ship and keep me in a place where I knew, again, I had to do it myself. And, and that was what I learned from my eating disorder. I had to do it myself. As much as my family wanted it, as much as my husband wanted it, I had to want it myself and I had to do it myself. So I think you're you're getting into what I always refer to as sort of a day of acceptance when you embrace what is going on. And we are, as humans, I believe, we're very powerful. And we have the ability to overcome just tremendous obstacles. Some of the amputees that I meet on the daily are just remarkable, extraordinary people, what they have overcome, you know, depending on the circumstance that they became an amputee, which is certainly one component. When I look at your story in particular, you know, losing your spouse, and then shortly thereafter, you had, a, I, I believe it was an infection um, related to a knee surgery. Yes. Correct? Yes. And then losing your leg above the knee and managing that level of setback. You know, life throws us punches, right? And we, we sort of bob and weave our way through those things. 
But but this is, I mean, really, let's let's not mince words. This is a catastrophic event. I mean, losing a spouse and then losing a limb shortly thereafter. I think most people would comment and say, I'm not really even sure if I could have made it through something like that because it's devastating. And then to be able to find your strength through family, through your faith, and reset, I would see that as a huge exercise in acceptance, acceptance of your circumstance, and knowing that, as we all find out eventually, hopefully sooner than later, is that we are completely in control of what, you know, what we do, how we manage our attitude, what we accept as, as our reality, and then certainly in charge of our happiness and getting to a place where we can say, I'm doing the things that I love and I'm happy because of it. And acceptance of those setbacks is kind of like this. It propels you forward into that space because as long as we're sort of rejecting the idea that all of this is happening or going wrong, it's really hard to make those improvements because I have to assume given your activity level now and what I've noticed about you, were you, so let's talk about, you know, snow skiing, for example, was that something that you did a lot of when, before your amputation? Was that, that's something you were passionate about? I, my husband and I were on the National Ski Patrol as divisional examiners in the Eastern Division. And we had a, have a house in Vermont, and we were busy every weekend running these senior tests, which we were examiners for. So when, when he died and after I lost my leg, I didn't know if I could ever return to skiing. I didn't, I mean, I'm not a triathlete. I'm not a Paralympian. I don't, I mean, my goals are, are pretty simple and pretty, you know, pretty, pretty, reasonable i think so i want to think you and i are i think you and i are similar that way you know (laughs) although i yeah although i admire a a lot of those really high functioning folks um those aren't necessarily aspirations of mine um i want to be very very active and i want to do all these 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 really fun enjoyable things but i'm not necessarily in the in that that competitive kind of space where you know I I I I really want to reach those personal bests, um, but you know I saw my my point being is I, I totally understand what you're saying, um, and how do you so given that you had this history and then wanting to go back to some level of activity, you said that it was um, was it kayaking that kind of bridged you a little bit into that active space. Yes, I was in in PT, and I saw a poster on the on the bulletin board about uh, a kayaking, adaptive kayaking, and it piqued my interest because I had been involved with sports. I'm a physical education major by uh, by, by um, studying, and so I I thought that sounded pretty good. So I I went down to Spalding Rehab in Boston, and I said I think I, I'd like to try this, and it, it took a little effort a little adaptation and a little and I had to find out a way to get in the kayak get out of the kayak and I did it with a lot of help they have a lot of PTs there to help so I tried tried it and really enjoyed it and then I thought well what can I do next and and so I went cycling they have recumbent bikes and so I started cycling and and cycling with one leg was was a challenge and mm-hmm. so then I then I thought in February of 2012 I'd like to get back skiing, so I went up to Loon Mountain in New Hampshire and I said to the adaptive director there I said I'd like to like to try skiing on one leg and he said you know you why don't you try preserving that good knee and trying on the model skiing and I said you know Jeff someday I'll sit down but not today and I'm still standing skiing <laughs> I three track skiing. Then I then I came I across an organization called AmpSurf, and I thought that would be fun. So I I went down to the beach with AmpSurf, and they help people with disabilities 
enjoy the ocean and just ride the surfboard and you don't have to stand you don't have to kneel you don't have to sit you can lie down and I started lying down I I just had fun you know with such a rush you know riding the wave they have plenty yeah. of helpers to when you fall off and so then I thought maybe I could try sitting and I did try sitting and I was able to and then I got a water leg through a fund um, through a donation from a grant and I was able to kneel, but I have a fused heel on my right foot and I couldn't stand. So I had to settle for kneeling and that's okay. Yeah. And that was okay. So I'm kneeling and I'm, I'm having a wonderful time. I don't, I know yeah. I can't stand and that's not something I have to do to enjoy it. But don't you think that's so important in terms of attitude when someone says, you know, I, I you know, I'm reaching my personal best here. That's good enough. You know, it's, it's, I, I, I think just wanting to engage and uh, participate is, is so much more important than being, you know, the ultimate this or the, you know, I mean, I always go from this motivation of, I, I I just want to enjoy these activities. I I want to be. I want to I want to participate. I want to, you know. Um, I I'd like to complete. I don't necessarily need to compete, um, but I would like to find you know sort of my lane with this particular thing. I mean, me personally, um, one of the things that I I was a little nervous about when I started getting back on a bike was well, what what do I do if I have an issue with my prosthesis and I'm 20 miles from home. I mean, we can, I, and I, very often because biking so meditative for me, I do it by myself. So I thought, well, there's options. I, I use an e-bike now. I mean, if I have a, an issue, <laughs> I can just throttle the whole way home. Um, I get a great workout. It's, it's a, a wonderful experience, and I also feel safe, which, you know, as amputees, we want to feel safe because there's those little vulnerabilities that we're like, okay, I, I don't want to put myself in a dangerous, you know, kind of place. But when I look at you, you know, on a, on a ski and I see you, you know, experiencing, you know, that rush of activity, um, where do you where do you think that comes from for you? Because I actually saw an article, or maybe it was just a picture. I'm trying to remember because I did a bunch of I did a bunch of show prep on you. You skydived. Yes. And it wasn't it wasn't that long ago. So I went skydiving as well as an amputee. It's a fantastic experience, by the way. What what do you think? is in your constitution that tells you, oh, Posey, you got to do that? I don't think I want to take uh, super high risk, do super high risk sports, but I it always want, wanted to skydive. I always thought that would be fun to do. So I think it was back in 2014, I went out to a, um, an air, airport out in Orange, Mass., and they have a jump school there, and they did some some dry land uh, ground school training, and which doesn't tell you too much except how to pull the ripcord, and you'll be with the tandem, so you're not alone right. up there. And I, I guess I just thought to myself, I'd like to push myself a little bit out of my comfort zone and do something just a little really, bit. <laughs> really fun. So I went up 15,000 feet with my tandem yeah. on the back, and we went and had a blast, but I found that the first time I didn't really, I couldn't really appreciate it all because it happened so fast. So the second time I went up, I wanted to try it again because I wanted to really, really get the get the whole measure of the experience. So we went up a second time later on and I said, can we do some somersaults? And he said, sure. <laughs> so he did, we did some somersaults and I really enjoyed the free fall more because it wasn't just the the thrill that I got initially that I did it and then it's over with this time. I really enjoyed it. And that's the second time I went and I haven't been since I can't find anybody to go with me. (laughs) Well, it's, it's funny that you refer to jumping out of an airplane at 15,000 feet as pushing yourself 
a little bit out of your comfort zone. Um, like yourself, I it was something I had always wanted to do, and I could never find anyone to do it with me. And when I had gotten really, really sick and I went through a, a kidney transplant, it was something that was still on my bucket list. And all my doctors were like, no, 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 no. Like, you're just not, you're not strong enough uh, right now. You're, you're sick. We don't want to put you, you know, in a, in a really dangerous situation. So I had always promised myself, you know, if I get through all this nonsense, I'm jumping out of a plane. And this is actually something I did uh, just a couple months ago. And I did, I was lucky to, to have a few uh, uh, friends and family that were willing to go up with me, one, one of which had done it a number of times, and the other that was, uh, that was his first time. So it was a really, really wonderful experience, a bonding experience. And to, you know, to, to spectate our Earth at that altitude is, it's really almost like a spiritual experience yes. when you're just kind of soaring through the air. And I think the thing that struck me probably the most surprising was the sensation is really you're floating. I never felt like I was falling. And so many people think it's like a fall, you're like you're like you're plummeting to the earth and you feel like you're falling. And and maybe it's different for everyone, but for me personally, I thought, well, I'm just kind of floating around. And it it was it was very pleasant. I wouldn't even compare it to like a roller coaster ride where there's a lot of you know like g forces and you're kind of getting pulled all over the place. Um, it was almost, uh, in a lot of ways, very, uh, calming and, uh, a really, really unique experience. So when I read that about you, I thought, man, I said, there she goes again, right there, you know, and I'm, I'm so happy that you, you shared it in a way that people could read about it. So making, making all those, those leaps into an active, you know, lifestyle, um, you know, let's talk a little bit about transitioning into uh, the uh, COP Amputee Association, which you are, which you are president and um, a founding member of. How did that come about? I know you mentioned earlier wanting to start a support group, but can you walk us through some more of the fine details with how you ended up in that situation? Well, I never had a peer visitor, never had anybody. I didn't even know any other amputees when I lost my leg. And my prosthetist came into my room and said, in rehab, and said, we're going we're gonna to get you up on two feet. And I said, wow, that was music to my ears. But I didn't know the process. I didn't know what that meant and what it would look like. And after I was on, on a prosthesis, I, seven months after I lost my leg, I said, I'm going to start a support group because I need it. I need to heal, and it helped me heal. As you know, you go through all the stages of grief when you lose your limb, just like losing a loved one, and I'd had both. So I I didn't know where I was in that spectrum, where I was as far as anger, depression, uh, denial. Uh, I didn't know where I was exactly. So starting the support, support group gave me support and helped me heal, and I was able to see the fruit of my efforts by seeing other people say, wow, this was really helpful. I'm going to come back next week. And we have pe- members who have been coming back for, for 11 years. We just had our, our uh, annual summer barbecue. And, and these are people that have been coming back for 11 years. And then we have people who transition out who say, I don't think I need a support group anymore, but new ones come in and they yeah. lend support to each other. As I said, I get back a hundredfold of what I give because it, it's helped me heal. And I think that's so important because we all need not only a, a sense of, of belonging, but also an opportunity to heal and a place to heal and a place to feel safe and a place to heal. And that's what I found in the, in the support group. So essentially you have these, these group meetings and then you have a number of different events. And I would think, um, you know, especially for, you know, any, any level of amputee, but also I'm, I'm assuming that this is kind of like a family to a certain degree. 
that you have gotten to know each other, bonded, grown, as you put, healed through this experience. And I would think that some of those experiences are just life-changing in, in that all of, I think sometimes all of what we go through as amputees, at times I know I try to make sense of it. You know, why, you know, why am I in this situation? And not that I, I spend a, uh, obsessive amount processing that, but I do think about it. And when I am able to, you know, present this type of content, be able to talk to someone like yourself and then get those words, get that, that wisdom out there, it, it tends to give me, uh, very much a reason as to why, you know, I, I lost a limb. So I would, I would think for yourself, a lot of that is just very affirming about your mission and, you know, what you bring, you know, to, to this community, which, um, you know, I will tell you without, without flattering you too much, your name has probably come up in my discussions with other prominent amputees. Your name has probably come up at least six or seven times as to someone that I should engage, that I should talk to. So there's something you're doing. There's some something you're doing that's impactful in this world, this particular space, that your peers are very much um, impressed by and appreciate. And uh, I know when we first, we had a little, maybe a little email exchange or something, and I, I, I think your your reaction to my inquiry was, why does this guy want to talk to me? <laughs> and I think that that is very reflective of how humble you are as a person. And I appreciate that, which, of course, your your humble, you know, nature made me want to engage you even more. Because, you know, had you said, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I've got all kinds of people after me, I would have went, okay, well, all right, here's someone that's a little full of themselves and, you know, um, but no, no. And we're, I mean, where do you think, where do you think that comes from as far as how, how, I guess, I don't know, average, you know, you think you are as an amputee? Where, where do you think that comes from? I think... I think we all want to. We all want to feel like we're making a difference, and I want to feel like I've made a difference in in other people. But I think where it comes from, I think it comes from from my family and them keeping me humble, and they they encourage me to do things, and and they when I do things, they cheer me on. The grandkids watch videos, and they cheer me on. And I think it it comes from all of that, knowing that we're we all we're all I guess extraordinary in our own way, but I don't think of it that way. I think of just living life to the fullest and, and doing, doing the best with what God has given me. And I think, again, I think we all want to make a difference. And what's made a difference for me is helping others and, and being able to reach out to people and, and share my story and to tell them how, what's helped me heal and how, how can I help you? How can I make make it so that you can heal too or help you in the process. And I've gotten some of our members out water skiing and skiing and, and surfing and, and, you know, they, it's so rewarding to me. And I, and I get back a hundredfold what I give. I just think, think we're here to make a difference. And if I can make a little bit of a difference, then that's, that's okay. That's, that's what I want. Yeah. And, and I think that is, you know, large in part mission accomplished. I think you're, you're, you're doing that. And, you know, on the wider scale, when we, when we, I know you're versed in, you know, legislation and, you know, you've been to Washington and I mean, where do you see things going right now for amputees as far as on the, let's call it the uh, political sphere or, you know, with insurance companies and, 
what continues to be what I see as uh, some potholes in the system for people with uh, limb difference or limb loss. I mean, what 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 do you see out there right now? What's your what's your take? What's your snapshot? Well, I think this, we have a long way to go. I think we've made a dent in the perception of who we are as, as people with limb loss and limb difference. We only have 21 states that have any kind of prosthetic parity law, which says that there, there, can, they, there cannot be a cap on insurance for paying for prostheses and prosthetics and prosthetic devices. I think that's the challenge for us is to try to improve that and try to get that passed on a federal level. And that's why it was important to me to go to Washington to speak with my representatives to let them know that that what I had gone through and the struggles that I had had getting prostheses and, and insurance barriers. And there are some states that have one limb per life. They You would only have one prosthesis and then you can't have another one without paying out of pocket. And it's just, we do have a long way to go. It's like the world, we don't, we think of the world as becoming a little bit more accessible, but really isn't. We really have a long way to go in that regard as well. So I think we can, on our local level, we can talk to our representatives and tell them our story, tell them the difficulties we have had, the challenges we've had, mm-hmm. and the 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 denials we receive from insurance companies when all we want to do is walk, all we want to do is stand up on two legs and, or move with two arms and walk. We're not asking for too much as the amputee coalition states, no, you know, limbs are not a luxury and they're not a luxury. Uh, we only about a third of all uh, amputees have access to or wear a prosthesis. That's an astounding number of people. They either Certainly. don't have access to proper prosthetic care, they don't know where to go, they don't have access, they can't afford prostheses, and that's that's alarming, and that's something we can do something about, we can change. Uh, Tammy Duckworth and Marsha Blackburn have introduced this AAA Study Act to study why there is such a difficulty in access to prosthetics, prosthetic care, and that's now gone to the to the uh, the, the to a committee, and it's we have a lot of sponsors, and the act is going to go, the study is going to go through, and maybe that will make some measure of difference. But we have the insurance companies, and they're not willing to to buy into that. They have something at stake. They have money at stake. They have invested in making sure that they don't pay out more money than than they think they should. People who review the applications for prosthetics oftentimes are not orthopedic doctors. They're not prosthetists. They're not. Some nice. of them are are barely uh, in the field. They they're researchers, and so it's really frustrating and very discouraging. But I think we can make a difference, and I think we can all band together and help each other, support each other, and go to our local legislators, tell them our story, go to the press, go to the op-ed write a letter to the editor, go to social media, and, and encourage our legislators to, to band together and to be on our side and to, and to co-sponsor these bills and to make a difference in the lives of amputees. Because right now, we're, we're a very silent voice. We don't have a voice. And the people who go to Washington on these Hill Days with the amputee coalition, we have a voice, but we're not a strong enough voice. There aren't enough of us. And so we need everybody to move on this. We need to have better access to prosthetics. And we need to have insurance fairness for APTs. We need to have federal legislation to provide prosthetic access to prosthetics and to provide co- insu- proper insurance coverage so people don't feel like they, they just it's just out of their realm. They just can't possibly afford it. And they don't wear a prosthesis. And, and that's, that's discouraging. No, the numbers, the numbers are shocking to me when I hear, you know, all of those statistics about how many amputees are not in a prosthesis, how many amputees do not have access to all of the necessary, um, incredibly important pieces of technology that just allow them to simply get up and walk across the room. These things are so critical. And to be quite honest, I was, I was shocked when I became an amputee and I realized 
that people in the medical community and people in the uh, the community of practitioners, prostatists, people directly serving amputees, these two groups are not really connected to each other. In fact, there tends to be this very, very big valley in between medical people and practitioners um, who serve amputees. So when I go to my when I go to my primary care doc and he sees my prosthesis, he's very transparent. He'll say, I don't know what that is. I don't know how it works. I don't know what it's doing to your to your to your skeleton. I don't know what it's doing to your muscles. I don't know what it's doing to your skin. I have no idea. And to me, that is such a a barrier because the more these particular groups don't understand what the other is doing, the less connections get made. And that's what tends to slow down the validity or what's referred to in the insurance business as medical necessity. I have actually helped, directly helped my doctor write a prescription for my prosthesis. That's insane when you think about it. Like, how, how is that even, how could that even be a thing, you know? Um, but these are the gaps that we're constantly filling. And I know you've played, you know, your, your, you've brought your best self to that role um, in trying to get that word out. You know, all of us, you, me, everyone in this community, we are all just grains of sand. And we bring that particular grain and we and we and we place it in the right in the right effort, in the right movement. And I so appreciate that that's something that you continue to do. And um, even your work with the amputee coalition, you know, very, very important. Uh, you know, briefly, if you if you want to talk a little bit about the convention, that would be great too, because of course, I'm I'm between the podcast, my full-time job and everything else I've got going on, um I was not able to attend, which I'm hoping to next year. Uh but yeah, tell me a little bit about it. Well, I was asked back in 2017 to join the events in the conference edu- education and conference committee for the APT coalition. So I joined that committee and became very active in planning conferences and helping with themes and helping with sessions and reviewing submissions for abstracts and reviewing submissions to see which ones were, were going to be we're going to accept and which ones we didn't think were, were as good. And I've been on that committee for since 2017, and that committee has grown. And this last conference planning session, they got a very late start. They had a change of leadership. They had, you know, they had some staff problems, and they, it wasn't until March that they got going with the with the planning. So there were three of us who had been on the original event, the conference planning committee, who they asked, and we gave them input about we have to have scooters, you have to have golf carts to get from the, the hotel to the tennis court. You've got to have water stations. You've got to have meals because it was outrageously expensive at the hotel. It was at the um, J.W. Marriott Resort and Spa in Palm Springs, California. And it was expensive to get out there. It was expensive to be there. And we just didn't think, we, the three of us who were amputees on this committee, nobody else was. We were the only amputees on this committee, and we had been involved in conference planning for many years. We were were able to educate the staff at the amputee coalition about what needs we have. We need accessible transportation to and from the airport, which they didn't have, and now they know they need to have because right. it was such a such a big deal to people who couldn't get from the airport to the hotel with any accessible transportation. They had to take a, a cab, which was very expensive. So it, those are all things that they're working on, and with a change in leadership, with uh, we're going to be moving forward with more programs, you know, more opportunities for volunteers to get involved, and. Next year we'll be in Orlando, and they'll have plenty of time to prepare, and we'll do the pre-planning and the planning of that starting sometime this fall. But the conference was great. We had some great sessions, great vendors. Uh, we had they provided meals, breakfast, and lunch, and 
one of the best things about conferences, getting together, seeing people in person, seeing, sharing your story with somebody else who's an amputee. One of the things you, you do at a, at a conference, which is kind of comical, whenever you meet somebody, you immediately look at their legs to see what they have for a prosthetic and you or their arms if you're an upper arm upper yeah. extremity amputee but you immediately look at their legs then you look at their face right. it's the funniest is the funniest thing and and if you're if you're in the in the bar afterwards uh you have to remind people who are there as guests who are two-legged freaks that right. <laughs> that's the way you always walk <laughs> you're not you're not you're not you're not drunk that's the way you always walk right. so yeah it's it's kind of comical but but it's great that people just love to get together. That's one thing that everybody shared following this year's conference was it was great to see people in person after two years of COVID restricting yeah. our access yeah. to in-person conferences. Sure. But it's just the idea of getting together with other amputees, reconnecting with old friends, making new friends. And I've kept up with people that I met at conference for years and people I met this year, I've started keeping connected with on social media and it's it's such a great experience to to get together with other amputees and to know that you're not alone and somebody may have an issue and you can say well gee that happened to me and this is how i solved it or i i i know someone who had that and this is what they did and it's just the it, be able to identify with each other and and be together and to have that camaraderie uh that engagement and that personal interaction is just is there's just nothing that replaces it i think you're so right and that's such a great way to you know to wrap you know our our interview up today you know that phrase you're not alone and for someone that has built shaped molded their life around being an amputee serving as a support system and a guide and someone that is truly, you know, a beacon for so many of us. I mean, your light shines very, very brightly, and I so appreciate what you do. I want to get these. Uh, I want to get these uh, links correct. Uh, of course, you can follow Posey on social media, um, Posey Mansfield. Um, also, uh, her association. Uh, uh, COP Amputee is at copamp.org. And then, of course, uh, the amputee-coalition.org. Posey Mansfield, um, thank you. Uh, don't be a stranger. I will be uh, in touch and, of course, following you as I always am. I wish you well, and I so appreciate you being here today. Well, thank you for inviting me. This has been this has been very, very, very enjoyable, and it's it's made a difference to me. It's it's very it's been very important to me to get the word out, and I thank you for listening. Oh no, it's 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 absolutely my pleasure. That's going to wrap it up for us, everyone. My name is Rick Bonkowski. This is the Amped Up to Eleven podcast. I want to wish everyone health and happiness, and we will see you next time. <laughs>